Good morning. If we can find our seats, we'll get started. I know. As you're finding your seats, if you can turn to Exodus chapter 6. If you would turn to Exodus chapter 6. I wanted to start the, ser- start the sermon this morning actually with a question. Uh, who is the hero of Exodus? You can answer out loud. Who is the hero of Exodus? Good, you got the answer right. First service did too, just so you know. Yahweh, God. You know what's interesting in the book of Exodus? God's name is really not mentioned in the first two chapters. Yet, he's everywhere. Sovereignly in control, his hand is working all things together behind the scenes in the first two chapters. He's the hero in the first two chapters, and then we get to chapters 3 to 6, which we've been in for a while. And we see God interacting with Moses, revealing what his name is, predicting the future, but we don't see him acting very much in chapters 3 through 6. It's not till chapter 7 that we really see God acting. And God's going to act in chapter 7, revealing himself as a powerful God, a God of justice. And yes, it's right. God is a hero. But let me ask a, a, another question. Who else could be considered a hero of Exodus? Moses? Good answer. Next to God, he is the main character of Exodus. In fact, he's a type of Christ, meaning his life points us to Christ. He starts off rocky, kills a man. We've seen him nonstop arguing with God up to this point, really whining, crying, and doubting God. But Moses was faithful, and the Bible makes that very clear. Hebrews 11, verse 24 says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It was faith that led him away from Egypt. And after chapter 6, as we will see, you don't really see Moses doubting God very much anymore. We just see faithfulness, boldness, courage, and leadership. In fact, we see a love and fear of the Lord. How about this? How about Aaron as a hero? I mean, he speaks for Moses. Moses was afraid to speak, and God sent Aaron to speak for Moses. He's a main character of the book of Exodus. Not perfect, as we will see, neither is Moses. How about this person as a hero? Jochebed. I know what you're thinking right now. Who is Jochebed? Last week we went over the genealogy in Exodus chapter 6, and we learned a lot about a lot of faithful men, men that aren't as well known as Moses and Aaron and the Davids and Daniels and the Samuels and Peters and Pauls of Scripture. Learn about Gershon, Kohath, and Meruri, faithful servants of the temple. We learned about one of my favorite characters, Phineas. All very important men, but I didn't talk about the most influential person in the whole entire genealogy last week. And yes, I'm including Moses and Aaron when I say the most influential. Jochebed. So who is Jochebed? Well, look at Exodus chapter 6, verse 16. These are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generations. Gershon, Kohath, 
and Meruri. The years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon is Libni and Shimei by their clans. The sons of Kohath, Amram, Izar, Hebron, and Uziel. The years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Meruri, uh, Malai, and Mushai. These are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Verse 20, Amram took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. Jochebed was Moses and Aaron's mom. Think about influence and how influential Jochebed was. If Jochebed didn't risk her own life, right, sacrificing everything for the life of her son, Moses, in Exodus 2, the book of Exodus would look a lot, di- lot different than it does. Her faithful act started a chain of events that ended in the Exodus of Israel. Listen, God is the hero of Exodus. The book of Exodus is all about God. It's him revealing his name and what it means that he is Yahweh. But God has chosen to use faithful men and women to accomplish his purposes. And out of the whole genealogy, there is no one more influential than Jochebed. In fact, her faith is celebrated in the New Testament. Hebrews 11 verse 23, I'm just quoting from the NIV. I like how they arrange the words. It says this, the faith of, Mo- or the faith, by faith, Moses' parents, again, we know who that is through the genealogy, that's Amram and Jochebed. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. In other words, Moses' parents feared God over man, over the king. They risked everything, risked their lives to save their son Moses. Moses' parents are examples of faith. In fact, they're written in the, the Hall of Faith, chapter 11 of Hebrews, all these faithful men of the Old Testament. But I want you to hear who Moses credits for his salvation in chapter of Exodus. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 1, verse 22. Remember, Moses is the author of Exodus, so the beginning part of Exodus, as it's talking about Moses' life, is kind of like an autobiography. He's, He's talking about his own life, of course, inspired by God, but he is the author. And this is what it says in Exodus chapter 1, verse 22. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, that means all the Egyptians, and he says this, Every son that is born to the Hebrews, that's the Israelites, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. This was a mass public genocide that Pharaoh commanded his people to be a part of. Any Hebrew boy that was born in a certain period of time, and this is the period of time Moses was born into, was to be thrown into the Nile and drowned and killed. A mass genocide. Look at Exodus 2, verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi, we have learned that this is Amram. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. We've learned this is Jochebed. 
the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, listen, she hid him for three months. Who does Moses credit for his salvation? His mom. Look at verse 3. When she could hide him no longer, she took him a basket, or she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dubbed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it in the reeds by the riverbank. Moses credits his mom for his salvation in chapter 2. Of course, we know that God is the one that ultimately saved Moses, and that's clear in Exodus, and Moses understands that too. But God used a faithful mom to save the man who would be used by God to save Israel. Do you think the calling of motherhood is important? Yes. Why do I bring this all up? Well, because it's Mother's Day. And I want to encourage the mothers this morning. Listen, your job, your calling is so important. It's so important. To be honest, I wasn't planning on doing a Mother's Day sermon today, but my wife told me to. And she asked me to preach the same sermon I preached a few years ago on motherhood. The sermon is uh, very special to me, as many of you know, because it's the same sermon I preached at my mother's funeral this last January. I was blessed to have a mom who was faithful. So let me start with something I don't do very often. We start with a story. In fact, I have about four stories, so I'm sure you've heard this story before. When I was in seminary, I took a church history class. On the very first day of the church history class, a professor stood up and he asked this question, who was the most influential man in Western civilization outside of Jesus and the apostles? It's an interesting question. The class started to name names, a bunch of people in their end div that were studying to be pastors. And the professor wrote the names that were um, said on the board. Again, this was a church history class, so we all were assuming this has to be someone from church history, so we're naming people from church history. And obviously this wasn't scientific, and this is not a way of proving who the most influential man is, but names were named. One of the names that was named was Billy Graham, who really started the modern-day evangelical movement, who shared the gospel with more people than anyone ever, who provided spiritual counseling for every U.S. president, from Truman, the 33rd president, to Barack Obama, the 44th. A pretty influential man. But still, I wouldn't say the most influential man in Western civilization. If you look at Billy Graham's life, There's many people that have influenced him. For example, the fundamentalist movement was a big influence in Billy Graham's life, whose goal was to preserve the fundamentals of the faith, and that was a good thing, and I'm glad they did. It's a big reason America looks different than Europe. 
the fundamentalists were very influential in Billy Graham's life. You can really draw a line from the fundamentalists to the First and Second Great Awakening, massive revivals in Europe and the U.S. So maybe it's Jonathan Edwards or George Whitfield or John Wesley as the most influential men whose, influ- who in- whose influence spread across both Europe and the U.S. I mean, huge influence. They influence our founding fathers. Like I said, directly influence the fundamentalist movement. But if you look a little deeper, all these men were heavily influenced themselves by the Reformation and the Reformers. In the 15th or 1500s, there were a few men that protested against the Catholic Church. That's where we get our name from, Protestants. This movement was hugely influential. So maybe men of the Protestant Reformation. A professor wrote names on the boards like Zwingli, John Calvin, and Martin Luther. To be honest, I thought, and I think most of us in that room thought he was going to say Martin Luther was the most influential man in Western civilization. I mean, he's credited for starting the Reformation. I mean, the Reformation impacted the whole world. But that day, I think we all learned that there was a man that stood above them all. St. Augustine, 4th and 5th century. His teachings really shaped the Catholic Church, dominated the Middle Ages for a thousand years, a thousand years of influence. Yet, at the same time, it was his doctrine of grace that encouraged the Reformers to protest against the Catholic Church and the Reformation. Many theologians say the Reformation was really an argument between Augustine's theology of the Church, the Catholic Church, versus Augustine's theology of grace, the Protestant Reformers. Martin Luther himself was an Augustinian monk. And he, in his writings, make it very clear that Augustine had a huge influence on him and therefore on the Reformation. Both Protestants and Catholics to this day claim Augustine as their own. I mean, hugely influential. 1,500 years of massive influence. My professor that day made a claim that Augustine stands heads and shoulders above everyone else as the most influential man in Western civilization outside of Jesus and the apostles, and that's his opinion. I think he can make a good argument for that. In fact, it was after this class that I I got the idea of naming my son Augustine. That's where he gets his name August from. It's Augustine is his full name. So what's this have to do with motherhood? Well, Western civilization would look a lot different than it does today if it wasn't for one woman one mother, and her name was Monica, St. Augustine's mom. I just want to read you a story of Monica. About 331 AD in North Africa, a baby girl was born who had become the mother of one of the most influential Christians of all times. Monica was born into a moderately wealthy family, an old Christian maidservant. I'm going to stop there. I can't wait to get to heaven to meet this maidservant. Just think about this. An old Christian maidservant who had also cared for Monica's father as a baby 
brought Monica up in the Christian faith. Monica was given in marriage to Pat- Patricius, a pagan officer who was not a Christian. Though the wife of a non-Christian, Monica prayed that her family might eventually all come to Christ. She attempted to bring her children up in the ways of the Lord, and it pained her to see them stray from the truth she had taught them. Her most promising son, Augustine, was given an excellent education, and Monica hoped this might be a means of fully reaching God. Yet Augustine ignored his mother's warnings against youthful lusts and pursued a life of self-gratification and immorality while continuing his classical education. He lived with a woman, not his wife, and fathered a child. He even got mixed up in a pagan cult. In fact, we learn a lot about Augustine's life because he wrote kind of like a diary called the Confessions. So we know a lot of what was going on in his life, and his life was a mess. Monica didn't have the words to convince her son of the truth of Christianity, but she determined never to stop praying that he would turn to God. Prayer is powerful. I really believe a mother's prayer is really powerful. You know, I'm learning a lot of parenting is really just out of my hands. Things I can't control. And I feel like as I watch other parents and kids grow, as kids get older, it's just more out of your hands. Monica faithfully prayed and prayed and prayed for her son, Augustine. Well, God answered that prayer in Augustine's life. I just want you to hear his testimony. For years, he, this Augustine, had sought to overcome his fleshly passions, and nothing seemed to help. In other words, his life was out of control. Alcohol, drugs, sex, the guilt of all of it just crushing him as a, as a man. One afternoon, he was wrestling with anxiety about all the guilt while walking in his garden, and suddenly he heard children nearby singing his song and repeating a phrase, Take up and read. Take up and read. On the table next to him happened to be a Bible. He had been studying for school. He picked it up and read the first thing he saw. Not in sexual promiscuity and drunkenness, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. Romans 13, 13 through 14. I think God heard Monica's prayers. He later wrote, I needed not to read any further, for instantly at the end of that sen- the sentence, light and peace came into my heart, and all the darkness of doubt vanished away. Monica died in 387 A.D. at the age of 56. In his confessions, Augustine spoke of his grief and weeping for the mother by saying, for, for the mother by saying, Now gone from my sight, who for years had wept over me, that I might live in God's sight. She died a happy woman, for she had seen her prayers answered. Both her husband and her son had become believers. Augustine was only 33 at the time of his mother's death, and many years of service to Christ and the church lay before him. In later years, Augustine could look back on his life and recognize the importance 
of his mother's example, love, perseverance, prayer, and faithfulness to his own salvation and ministry. However, neither Augustine nor Monica could have ever foreseen that Augustine's own ministry would continue over the centuries and would even influence such men as Luther and Calvin and the Reformation. Moms, your calling to motherhood is so important. You are being used by God for his glory. And you have more influence in the church than you realize. Let me tell you one of my other stories that I like to share. I was at a pastor's conference a few years ago. And I was in a room of all pastors. It was all men. There was probably about a thousand pastors in this room. And a person got up. He wanted to talk about the importance of youth ministry. And he asked this question. How many of you were saved before the age 13? 90% of that room raised their hand. Think about that. Every one of those pastors has a congregation ranging from 20 to 6,000. I'm going to talk about massive influence in one room. Now think about this. Every single hand that was raised, there was most likely a mom who was faithful. That got her son ready for church every Sunday morning. That faithfully served in the nursery or Sunday school that got her son to Awana and went over verses throughout the week with him, that shared scripture with her son at night, that shared the gospel with her son, that prayed for her son diligently. Just about every hand raised, there is a mom that is in heaven or will be in heaven with great rewards for faithfulness. Did you know that there's rewards in heaven? I think it's one of the the truths in Scripture that we as Christians don't know what to do with, that there's rewards in heaven. But the Bible makes this very clear. Matthew 6, 20 says this, But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. 2 Timothy 4, 4, 8 says this, Henceforth, There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Revelations 22, verse 12, it says this, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay each one for what he has done. Listen, I want to be clear, you're saved by grace through faith. There's no salvation outside of grace through faith. But after salvation, you are rewarded for faithfulness. In fact, that's the core of faith. Hebrews 11.6 says this, and without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must, and this is what faith is, believe that he exists. In other words, faith that there is a God and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I want to be clear. 
whenever I talk about rewards, that the rewards are not health, wealth, and prosperity in this life. God doesn't promise these things. He promises something much better. Joy. For faithful obedience. But he also promises some kind of rewards in heaven. I don't know all the details of this, but there's one important stipulation. Matthew 6, verse 1 says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be, be um, in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. In other words, and we see this throughout Scripture, that there seems to be greater reward for unseen faithfulness. Again, we see this consistently in Scripture. So here's my guess. When we get to heaven, the biggest rewards are not going to be the Billy Grahams. They're not going to be the Jonathan Edwards or George Whitfields or John Wesleys. It's not going to be the John Calvins or the Zwingli's or the Martin Luther's. It's not going to be the Augustines. It's going to be the Monica's. It's going to be the people with the hardest jobs, with the littlest praise and recognition, yet are faithful to God. It's going to be a bunch of moms. Please be encouraged. Your calling is so important. My goal this morning is to encourage you, moms. And let me do that by saying this. You are not called to be perfect. Often, as we parent, and this is true for fathers too, I, I feel like a failure often. I know motherhood feels that way sometimes, but let me encourage you, the goal of parenting, the goal of motherhood is not perfection. It's faithfulness. So please, stop beating yourself up when you fail. Listen, you're going to fail at points. You're human, you're a sinner, you're saved by grace. Monica failed. Let me just think about this. Could you imagine how much of a failure she must have felt when her son Augustine left for college? An immoral pagan, rejecting her teaching, making a mess out of his life. Not only that, he got got mixed up in a pagan cult. There's moments I'm sure she was on her knees praying to God, feeling like an utter failure. And to be clear, I'm sure she did fail at points. She's human. But she was faithful. And you better believe there's rewards in heaven for her faithfulness. It's faithfulness, not perfection. And I really want to encourage you moms this morning on this. I, I just want to show you this by looking at probably the most famous mom in the world. Any guesses who that is? Mary. 
mother of Jesus. Talk about a faithful lady. Mary probably came from a poorer family, godly woman, betrothed, usually in this culture, between the ages of 12 and 15, meaning when she came and she was pregnant, she was between the age of 12 and 15. Let that settle in for a second. By the way, I think we expect too little from our teenagers. She was pregnant before sexual relationships. She was pregnant before marriage. In a culture that that was looked down upon, (laughs) to say the least. And this is her response. Luke chapter 1, 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I mean, what 14-year-old does this? This is going to be hard. God comes and says, hey, you're going to be pregnant. It's going to be hard. People are going to talk behind my back, that's for sure. I'm going to lose all my friends and probably all my family. But God, I trust you. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. That's faith. Trusting God when it gets hard, that's faith. Godly woman, faithful woman, but not perfect. If you would, turn to Luke chapter 2, verse 41. I want you to think about this as you're turning there. There's not much about Jesus' childhood. Really, the only story we have is, is one story. We have a lot about his birth, and then when Jesus is about 30 and starts his ministry. But his childhood, there, there's not much. We have one story of, of Mary's mothering when Jesus was a child, and it's found in Luke Chapter 2, verse 41, it says this, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to, to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing um, him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But when they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when uh, they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sending him among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Now think about that. Actually, think about this. Jesus was a sinless child, meaning he was perfectly submissive always meaning he never talked back. He always listened the first time. (laughs) Never fought with his siblings. Was helpful around the house. Always did his schoolwork. Perfect. Mary really, as a mother of Jesus, had one job. Don't lose him. You don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever lost a child? Look what it says in verse 46. After three days. This wasn't just the grocery store. (laughs) Can you imagine? I can just picture Mary saying, Joseph, we lost the Son of God. the only story of Jesus' childhood. 
Joseph and Mary losing Jesus for three days. Why would God put this story in the Bible? Well, I think there's a number of reasons, but I, I partly think one of the reasons is to encourage us as parents, mothers, you're not perfect. That's okay. Because there's grace. Mary was a faithful mom, but she also made mistakes. Even when Jesus was an adult, it says this in Mark 3.20, one time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away, away saying, he's out of his mind, they said. In other words, Jesus' family thought, thought Jesus was crazy. And verse 31 makes it clear that some way Moses was, or Mary was a part of this. Verse 31 says this, Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, standing outside, and they sent someone in to call him. We don't know all the details, but it's clear that Mary didn't understand exactly who Jesus was. What he was doing. She wasn't perfect, but she was faithful. And Jesus loved his mother. This is clear in Scripture. On the cross, Jesus was dying a horrific death. Not only that, the the wrath of God was getting poured out on him. And he looks down and he sees his mother. And John chapter 19, 25 says this, When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, that's John, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, here's your mother. And from that, and from then on, the disciple, that's John, took her into his house. In other words, Jesus on the cross looked down at his mother and said, John, take care of my mother. Loved his mother. This also means that it's most likely Joseph was dead at this point. And we don't hear about Joseph throughout all of Jesus' ministry. So between the age of of 11 or whatever age he was in uh, the story we talked about in Luke in the temple where they lost him, and the age of 30 when Jesus starts his ministry, Joseph died somewhere in there, meaning at some point Mary was a single mom. I don't know when. Maybe it was when Jesus was an adult. Maybe not. You're a single mom out there. Be encouraged. Jesus loved his mother. The Bible only records seven things Jesus says on the cross, and one of them was his concern for his mother, whom he loved. Mothers, your calling, the calling of motherhood is hard. It can be thankless. It can be lonely. It can leave you feeling like a failure, It's full of all types of sacrifices. But listen, it's important. It's so important. And the goal is faithfulness, not perfection. And if you are faithful, there's great rewards awaiting for you. I believe uh, Jochebed is in heaven enjoying great rewards for her faithfulness. 
Moses' mom. Again, Hebrews 11:23 says, By faith, Moses' parents, and again, Moses makes it clear, it was especially his mom, it was both, but especially his mom, hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. I believe there's great reward for Moses' mom. And you know what? She did the best she could with what she had. She was faithful with the little bit she had. She risked everything to try to save Moses' life, and, and she risked everything by giving him up, hoping someone would find him and adopt him. Trusting God that God would take care of him. You know who else I believe? And this is just a guess on my part. Can't back this up with scripture, but I believe may be enjoying great rewards. I think Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted Moses. Maybe she couldn't have kids of her own. It's a guess, I don't know. We do know that God has a, a special place in his heart for the, the women that are barren. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Hannah, Elizabeth. Special place in God. So listen, if you have been trying to have a child, God has a special place in your heart. And you know what? He has a plan for your life too. Be faithful. Trust in him. Maybe she was barren. I don't know. Again, this is a guess. God brought her Moses. She adopted him. She let him be nursed by Jochebed, his biological mom. She didn't have to do that. In fact, she went against the the king's edict. She saved his life. She should have just let him go. And it seems like she let him be influenced by the Hebrew culture. There's a sense, if you read through Exodus, that Moses knew his, his sister and brother and knew his family and knew what Hebrew and Israel was all about and knew the God of Israel. So maybe at some point she became a believer. You know who probably has great reward because of her faithfulness too? Miriam, Moses' sister. A single lady, a young single lady, before she was married, before she was a mother, risked her life to save Moses, followed her down the followed him down the Nile and told Pharaoh's daughter about Jochebed, about Moses' biological mom. So that Moses ended up back with his mom to be nursed. You know who I'm sure has great rewards? <laughs> The midwives in Exodus 1. You talk about courage and love. You know, I love Phineas, and we spent a lot of time on Phineas. That was fun last week. Right? He embodies 1 Corinthians 15, 13. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. But you know what? So did those midwives. They stand firm in the faith, and they were strong. Fied the keen saved innocent babies. 
You know who else I think probably has great rewards? Zimpora. Moses' wife. Again, my interpretation of Exodus 4, 24 through 26 is that Moses was the one that was disobedient and God was seeking to put him to death. And because of the faithfulness of Zipporah to circumcise his son, his life was saved. The calling of being a wife is so important. All of these women extremely faithful, feared God over men. All of them, I believe, have great rewards for their faithfulness. You know, I once heard a beloved pastor say, men are the courage of the church. At least men should be the courage of the church. Men are the courage of the church, but the women are the heart. I would add this. Mothers, you are the influence of the church. In a lot of ways, the future of the church is in your hands, literally for some of you right now. Your influence over your kids will not be matched by another human being. That is a stewardship. That's a great responsibility, and that is a privilege. Listen, I just want to be clear. You're not called to be perfect. You're called to be faithful. Let me end with this, and here's a gift for you on Mother's Day. We're going to be out way early. It was at that pastor's conference. I, I was there. I was a part of the thousand pastors where 90% of the pastors raised their hand that was saved before age 13, and I was one of them. My dad, who I know is watching online, was a godly man, and he showed me what it meant to be a man. But my mom was a teacher. <laughs> she taught me the scriptures. She taught me who God was. She answered so many of my questions. She was the one that shared the gospel with me when I was seven. When I left for college and started pursuing worldly things, making a mess out of my life, a lot like Augustine, my parents were there for me, and I knew home was a safe place. I knew home would be a place where I'd find truth. Listen, I wouldn't be the man I am today if it wasn't for her. To be honest, this is the first Mother's Day that since my mom's passing, and I've had a lot of people come up to me and say, hey, I'm praying for you, and I just want to tell you, I'm doing good. It, it's been a joy-filled day because I know my mom is in heaven with great rewards right now. She's with her parents. I'm just blessed that I had her the time I had her. I was adopted. Great sacrifice was made to make sure I'd be raised by a godly mother and a godly father. Uh, God chose this family for me that I grew up in. And although I miss my mom, I'm very happy I know exactly where she is. Moms, your calling to motherhood is so extremely important. Society is telling you that it's not, that your career is way more important, that Anything else in this world is way more important. It's not. Your influence 
is way more influence than, than I'll ever have on your child, than any youth pastor will ever have on that child. Your calling is so important. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for moms. Lord, you are the creator of families. Families reflect your very nature, a triune God, Lord. You are the creator of families. You are the creator of fathers and mothers and marriage. And you have given all of us parents a stewardship to love our children and to teach them about you. Lord, I pray for each and every mom that's in this room right now that they understand how important their calling is. Lord, I pray for single moms. I pray that they realize that that their calling is a calling of faithfulness, Lord, that to use the resources they have, Lord, to love on their children, to, to point them to you, Lord. Lord, I pray for those moms that are Christians, that are saved, that are doing everything they can, but have a husband that isn't saved, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you just bless them. Lord, I pray for those that are barren or or haven't had a child yet, Lord, that they know that you have a special place in their heart, Lord, and that you have a plan for their lives. God, I pray for each and every mom that's in this room, Lord. I pray that they're encouraged today. I pray that they understand just how important their calling truly is. In your son's name, amen.